Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Cozy Corner Book Club with your favorite bloggers, Sean and Lindsay. Last year, we started up our Best Friends Guide to Everything, and we are so excited for another year. And this month, we're featuring a new edition on the Cozy Corner, and we are going over A Christmas Carol. This little novella was released in, let's see, 1844. Wow. Very old. <laughs> do you want to do that quick math and figure out how old this thing is? Um, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> Why don't you do that? Well, I go back into some of the other themes. Um, so, yes, it did come down in 1844. And a big part of this uh, story is that it came during a reflection of Christian values. Um the British in particular were reevaluating Christmas traditions like caroling and some of the newer customs of having Christmas trees. And a lot about the religion itself kind of went through a change during this time period. It is 147 years old. 147. Wow. Damn. <laughs> I mean, uh. not surprising. So- because let's be real almost every major show in pop culture so many different franchises have made a parodied version of a christmas or uh, a christmas carol and i mean like we have the muppets we have the flintstones my personal favorite mickey's version mickey's a christmas carol love it Mm -hmm. um but then, you know, it's also been adapted into many uh, productions for plays around this time of year, which is, I think, the first time me and Lindsay went and saw it back yeah. in a, yeah. where, where where we go to school? Was it? Uh, Ortega. <laughs> Ortega Elementary. Yeah. yeah. My parents actually just went and saw it last night, too, up in San Diego. They said it was really oh, good, nice. whatever version they went and saw. We should have called them and been like, y'all, give, a, give us, you know, chat with us. Well, but who knows how accurate their version was, you know? Like, sometimes they take liberties and leave stuff out or, you know. And that is something I noticed reading this. <laughs> there was a lot left out, and I was like... Was this your first time what? reading it? I mean, I think the first time I read it was with you uh, back in elementary school, but we read it in the form of a play. Okay, we didn't so read... Not, like, book. actually reading the... Yeah. And so to read the book itself, the play left out so much. Mm-hmm. All these movie versions that, you know, it's easy to forget. Not just Christmas story. That This is like a legit ghost story. Yeah. And it's like to read some of it, I was just like really intrigued at the very beginning of all of the, uh, the Marley sequences. Yeah. And just some yeah. of the stuff he was saying, I was like, oh my god, this is, you know, a ghost story. And I mean, the original title is A Christmas Carol, in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. It's been shortened down to A Christmas Carol. But... Who wants to say about super long name? Exactly. Speaking of the name, why is it called A Christmas Carol? Like, carols, I guess, at least nowadays, are like songs that you sing, typically at Christmas time. So, I mean, it's obviously not a song. Did Carol mean something different back then, I wonder? Or I think it's more in the perspective of 
you know, a ballad. You know, a ballad is a song. It's a story. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've, I, I I don't know for sure, but I think it's, a, you know, a similar uh, variety, similar meaning there. It's a Christmas story, less so a Christmas song. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting that um, since this, like you said, kind of took place during a time of um, Christian religions, like kind of reevaluating things, and it's a ghost story, and ghost and Christianity in general do not mix. So it's just funny that, like, <laughs> you know? You say that, but there's so many stories in there in the Bible where there are spiritual beings. Oh, I agree. Sometimes but there are visions of the deceased. People seem to conveniently forget that that a, happened in the it's Bible. A, ghost, a spirit. Yeah. Of of sorts. Maybe not our normal, typical, you know, you know, covered in chains kind of spirit in this one, which, <laughs> wow, kind of which, weird. Okay, the chains are one thing, but the creepiest part by far was him un like he had like a bandage essentially like holding his jaw to his head, and he like would undo this wrap that you know tied under his jaw to the top of his head, and his whole jaw would just like fall down. Like, what are, is it sharks that can, like, unhinge their jaw to, like, fit more in their mouths? It's some kind of, like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> is it sharks? Um. <laughs> but anyways, that's what it reminded me of. And that was probably the creepiest part of this whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, so now, I mean, we're kind of already jumping into it. But the story starts, and I honestly love the way it starts. Because, you know, whenever you go to work and something happens at work and you have the coworker kind of giving you the deets of what's going down and they go, well, before I can tell you the story, here's what happened. So that we can understand why the story is important. Of the same thing. And it like I took a moment because I cracked up. I'm like, he just pulled this on us. Like, we're not even like two pages in. Like, I think we're like a paragraph in. And he immediately goes into an aside. To describe Scrooge. I wonder if that's a British thing. Story. You have to understand the kind of person Scrooge was. And we're going to go through a couple, like, in, like he went through multiple paragraphs of just describing Scrooge. Not just physically, but his personality. And it was like, this is everything you need to know about him. Okay, let's begin. Yeah. Cracked me up. Do you think that's a, like, a British thing? The whole, like doing an aside like maybe I just notice it more in like British things that I read like Hitchhikers or Harry Potter or um like Carry On is not written by a British person but it's set in England so it's British like but those are places that I guess I notice it more at least do you notice it in American I, literature I think you may be noticing it more in these British stories but I'm not, you know, a British lit, you know, student. Well, so no, I'm not either. <laughs> I don't know for sure. But I mean, an aside is, you know, a big part of literature. Yeah. Um, a lot of stories, a lot of plays in particular, utilize that to give more information to the audience. Um, but yeah, they definitely start off the book with that. And it just, to me, it just kind of cracked me up because I was just like, wow, it just seems so blatant. Like, Oh, by the way, this is Scrooge. Everything you need to know about him. Okay, let's begin. 
So I just I just immediately thought that's like when you go to work and you know something went down between a coworker or two, and somebody's trying to tell you what's going on, but like okay, here's what happened before. They gotta give you context, yeah. And I and I just it, it just cracked me up. Um, but yeah, it starts um seven years after the death of Ebenezer Scrooge's business partner Jacob Marley. Uh, both of them were you know very stingy they were all about you know making as much money as they could uh and you they underpaid a lot of people you know they didn't give to charity look down on the poor as you know hey you're poor because you know you may have had bad circumstances it was you deserve to be poor because you're poor um kind of not good so uh Jacob Mar the ghost of Jacob Marley shows up and he's just like, dude, um, we gotta fix this because if you look at me, my jaw is falling off my face. Mm-hmm. I have uh I and I love the imagery and the symbolism of I created my own chains that tether me to the earth. Mm-hmm. And that he can only walk where he walked in life. And he sat there and he goes, I don't get to see much. I've literally been watching you all of my afterlife because all I did was go from work to home. And so it was kind of like, oh, wow, okay. Literally, that's all he did. So he, you know, he really couldn't go and observe other people. He could only watch Scrooge. And he's like, dude, I'm going to give you a chance. I worked really hard for this. I'm going to have three different ghosts haunt you, which already kind of terrifying enough because Scrooge is like, dude, I don't know if I want this, looks out the window, and suddenly he's able to see, like, every single, like, spirit deceased person he's ever met and see them all in chains, like, all these chains are all wrapped up in each other, and they're just trying to walk slowly around, and I'm just like, oof. (laughs) you better take that and he's like i don't know if i want this marley's like dude i went through a lot of work time to get going um so why does jacob marley's ghost visit scrooge to try to help out a friend of course we don't know all the details and apparently like in our Facebook discussion, I put down like, oh, why haven't we gone back to the story of why about Marley? And of course, not even two minutes later, I'm Googling it to see if it already exists. Disney beat me to the punch. It's coming out next year. I'm a little <laughs> upset that I couldn't have written that myself. And hey, it's like, not too late, though. Like, write it, get it out now before Disney can, and then you can, you know, sue them for stealing your story (laughs) um no i don't i I think it's too late they've already announced they're doing it but either way um i think we both imagine that marley had to be getting something out of it like of course he is getting to help a friend and scrooge is you know hopefully going to change and not you know face the same fate that marley is but is that some kind of penance that marley's paying you know like he brings someone to the light and then that lessens his you know, suffering, or, you know, I wonder if there was some kind of correlation there. And Quite possibly, the t- or it could have been, like, watching The Good Place. Um, the characters, they end up learning about the afterlife and all that kind of nonsense, so it immediately prevents them from being able to improve their own 
moral standing of whether or not they go to the good or the bad place. So instead, they work to try to make everyone else go to the good place. And they work to try to bring more good to humanity. So, I mean, we don't know Marley's side of the story. All we know is that him and Scrooge were basically the same person. Yeah. Um, they would respond to each other's names if people came in and, and just assumed who they were. Um, I don't know. It's just there's more to the story, and I can't wait to learn more. Is uh, it a live-action film that they're doing? I don't remember. Okay. Well, so if we move on to stave two, then the first spirit goes ahead and comes to visit um, Scrooge, and it's the ghost of Christmas past. So the ghost takes Scrooge to um, like his old boarding school, and he sees himself as a young boy and just a much more innocent time. I mean, before he became the cynical and just very pessimistic person that he is now, and um, he sees how lonely he was then. With really like his relationship with his parents was not great, and he had a sister that he adored, and he was fan. And um, over time, he just got more and more obsessed with money and with greed and power and even um I mean it destroyed his relationship with his fiance Belle because that was all he cared about and she realized like he's never going to love her more than he's going to love his pocketbook you know and well, so I mean watching it I thought it was really fascinating that you know the only positive relationship we see in these backgrounds is him with his employer and his employer was like the like like a great boss. Yeah. Like I mean, even you know, back then there were different types of labor laws and rules and you know, whatever. But on Christmas he's like, Oh, we're closing up early. He got all the servants, he got like the neighbors, he brought them all over and he's like, We're gonna have a party and I'll pay for everything. Well but and... the whole thing was I mean, Scrooge even made a comment about, Wow, that didn't even cost hardly anything. You know, like it was a a party but it was a very like just minimalist party you know but they had such a great time and it put everyone in such a great spirit and just really showed how much they were appreciated so it kind of you know for him who's so stingy with his money he realized oh, okay it it doesn't actually cost that much to make people happy and so I think that was kind of the beginning of his like opening his eyes on like what happiness really is and it's not just about the money and he also saw right there he's like just from seeing the scene, these few scenes, he's like, oh, I should have done things differently today. Not just with his life. He is still thinking about earlier today, mm-hmm. which I thought was, you know, you know, it's a step. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the second spirit, the ghost of Christmas present. Um, the ghost is like, hey, we're going to go um, look at what other people are up to today. You know, see what you're missing out on. So they get to go visit the um, his uh, assistant. Uh, I think what is it? Is is a clerk? I think they yeah, go to clerk. his clerk's um, family's house, and they get to see the whole family feast, and that they are struggling, completely struggling. Mm-hmm. But they're still using the spirit of the holiday to get through a very cold winter and you get to meet you know tiny tim who is seriously ill 
but is the happiest little kid ever. And it's just like, oh. And so insightful, too. It really showed, like, children's innocence. And um, Bob Cratchit made a comment about he had taken his son, I don't know if it was to church or where, but they were, like, coming back from something where they'd seen a bunch of people and he'd taken Tiny Tim with them. And Tiny Tim told him, like, well, you know, I hope that, you know, a bunch of people saw me and I hope it made them feel better knowing, like, how much they can do, you know, like how able they are because that they're not ill like I am. And he wasn't saying it in like a, oh, woe is me, like I'm in the situation kind of thing. He just genuinely wanted to make people happy and knew that just his presence and his just happiness could do that for other people. And then um, the spirit also showed Scrooge two emaciated children named Ignorance and Want. And he said, beware them. Because they were, I mean, they were just personifications of these, you know, two ideas that are very close to him. Ignorance for, you know, not knowing his, you know, his uh, employee situation and not really caring about it. And then want his greed. So I just sat there and I'm like, I I loved this part. Like, Mm -hmm. Tiny Tim. This ghost was probably my favorite as well. Um, And I also thought it was interesting the different forms that the ghost took. Like, the first ghost was, I think, a child or, like, a childlike face. But kind of... Well, it was also, like, he was a shapeshifter. Because they kept talking, like, oh, he had two legs, then six legs, then he was headless and just a torso, and then a head with no torso. And the first one was, like, shifting for a while. Yeah, and then the Ghost of Christmas Present was, like, this, you know, jolly man, who like, like a young man who just in the course of their time together, which, I mean, who knows what time looks like in the situation. Like, was it an hour? Was it days? Who knows? But um, he, like, aged completely, like, went through his entire life, the ghost did, just in that time that he was a Scrooge. And that really was a a good symbol for how like fleeting the present is you know like it's here and it's gone and then you're moving on to the future and so you really have to keep things in perspective and um just remember to be present with the people around you and towards the end of this after seeing you know tiny tim and how ill he was and kind of the situation his clerk had been in who had worked for i mean bob crotchet had worked for scrooge for a long time and scrooge never took the time to get to know him to get to know his family or figure out you know his living situation or anything and for people i mean they're the only two people working in this place all day every day so like how does that kind of conversation not come up you know like can you imagine working with one other person for you know eight nine hours a day five at least five days a week probably more knowing scourge um and not knowing a single thing about their life and so he you know like once he sees Cratchit's family and Tiny Tim, you know, he's really drawn to Tiny Tim. And he asks the spirit, um, is Tiny Tim going to live? Like, I know he's so ill, is he going to live? And um, the ghost can't say for sure, but he basically says, well, next year I see, you know, a, a, a crutch against the chair in an empty chair, which is like, he says, so no, I don't think he's going to live. And um, then he even, he brings up something Scrooge had said earlier where um, he told him 
like Scrooge had said, well, if they're going to die, they just need to get on with it. You know, like then there's, you know, more money, more resources for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And he brings that up with Scrooge and you can just tell how just guilty he feels and how much shame after saying that. And, you know, it's one thing to say that, you know, we joke about like, oh, we need a new plague. You know, I think that's like a, an office quote, like that kind of thing. But like he'd said that with a level of seriousness that like he just really didn't care about other people. And then once it was kind of like he had some perspective on like, oh, this is an actual person that I know that this would affect. It really just I think that was a big stepping stone for him and kind of realizing what was actually important. Yeah, totally agree. So the last um, Christmas spirit, I guess, is the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which I thought was interesting that that's what it's called. I'd always just remembered it as the ghost of Christmas future, (laughs) I guess, because it was past, present, and then future. But yet to come, I just thought that was interesting that it wasn't what I remembered. To to me, that title felt a little bit deeper. You know, Ghost of Christmas Future does sound a lot more finite, whereas the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, to me, that sounds like, hey, this is, I mean, it's more true to the story of this is a future. This is, you know, this is a Christmas that can come. Yeah. Um, To me, it just, it makes it seem less concrete. True. So another interesting thing about this ghost is he didn't talk. He showed Scrooge a couple of scenes, but he was able to converse with the other ghost. And this one didn't talk at all, which I thought was interesting. And also kind of a another symbol of like, we, we don't know the future. We can't even really like guess at the future. We just have no idea. It's one thing to discuss things that have happened or are happening, but what we think or hope is going to happen we just have no idea um but so ghost of christmas yet to come takes scrooge to um the funeral of a man who is unnamed at you know the beginning and you know he's covered like scrooge doesn't know who it is that's died but he's at this funeral and basically everyone's just bad talking to the guy and you can tell he was very disliked and no one respected him and no one cared for him and they're all just talking about you know how they can steal his possessions and um so he asked the spirit if he can just show him like one person who would feel remorse or or just feel sad about scrooge dying what oh no no, i'm just sitting here i'm like yeah because like you're saying the the only people that uh felt happy or you know you know had emotion about his death was a poor couple who were like we got time to get you know money together to pay off our debts. Yeah. You know, all these other people are coming in. uh, They're only there to get the free lunch with his uh, funeral. I mean, they're like, oh, it's going to take him time to go through his books and figure out who owes him what. We got a couple extra days to pull some money together. Yeah. How sad is that? I mean, that's what he, that was his reputation. That's what he was known for. It was, oh, he died. So we owe a little bit less money and they're happy about that. So. Well, what's even sadder is when Scrooge goes, you know, who who actually feels for the dead? You know, he tries to, like, play it off as, well, you know, this isn't just me. Like, who really likes going to a funeral? Who who really can, 
feel emotion for people who have deceased. And the ghost of Christmas yet to come does show us the funeral of Tiny Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Which that was really, really sad. Um, yeah. I mean, you saw them, his whole family just mourning. And I mean, Scrooge was very affected. You know, he feels very just connected to Tiny Tim now after seeing um, like what the ghost of Christmas present showed him. Um, so then he asked the ghost to show him his, you know, his grave, Scrooge's grave, and he gets there and it's just completely neglected. I mean, no one has given it a moment's thought since Scrooge's death. And if anything, probably more of them are, like you said earlier, happy because that's just one less person they owe money to or that is going to be just, uh, you know, a source of trouble in their life. So that was kind of the final breaking point where Scrooge realized he had to change, you know, like he can't take his money to the grave. Sure. He can, you know, save it all up as much as he wants, but at the end of the day, when he dies, it's not going with him. So that's not what's important. And it just really changed his priorities. Um, so this leads to him waking up. And originally this, the, the story started in the first stave on Christmas Eve. And Marley was like, Oh, I'm gonna have a ghost visit you once each day. So this also in like the middle of the night. So like screw you, Marley. (laughs) I know. Sending them all like one a.m. But through the course of the story, and you know, he's thinking that he's sleeping on end for these days. You know, just waking up to be encountering these ghosts, and so in his brain, three days have passed. But he wakes up. He goes outside, and it's only Christmas Day. He has time to change. So he he goes and he makes that donation for the people he snubbed. He goes to his or his uh, clerk's house and he pays. He brings dinner, and he goes and he's like, "You're getting a pay raise." You know, he feels the the circumstances in which Tiny Tim are in are his doing. Well, and which- the cool thing about the raise also was he. So that didn't happen like that day. It was like the. So Bob came to work the next day and he was like 20 minutes late and Scrooge is like, yes, he's a little bit late. Like I get to yell at him. And so he gets there and, you know, he's acting like he's his normal self and, um, you know, starts like berating Bob about being late. And um, then, you know, he's in the middle of yelling at him. He goes, and you know what? I'm going to give you a raise. <laughs> and Bob's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> You know, he tells them, like, you're getting an increase in pay and, you know, you're going to, you know, go spend time with your family, enjoy the holidays. You know, like, he just it was like has so much kindness and generosity and it's just a complete 180. I mean, a, a what's a 360 plus a 180? You know, like, he just kept on spinning until he got to the opposite side. <laughs> so, as um, I, I really, I loved how he did it. You know, that he was so, he was, like, plotting, like, oh, I'm so excited for them to, you know, to be able to do this and and I think he didn't even, he, yeah, he anonymously sent the dinner to the Cratchits. He didn't go there. Like, he even, like, paid extra to get, like, the biggest turkey he could find and get it sent to them. So, like, they had, like, not only is he trying to show kindness, but he's not even worried about getting the credit for it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's just throwing money out there to these people that, like, need it and who he cares about now and um, just... Didn't even ask for credit. Snubbed. 
repeatedly in the first, you know, section of this story. Mm-hmm. He's like, why would I give money? The, the the There's the labor union over there. Make them go work. There's the prison union. Make them go to work. Like, they'll, they'll yeah. feed them. Why should I have to? And for him to turn around and go, no, Tiny Tim and his family are in this situation because I underpay my employee. Mm-hmm. Because underpay and I, overwork. Yeah. And so it, it, it was a huge change. Um, but this leads to really a big question. Do you think the spirits were real or just a dream? Um, I don't think that the events really happened. So I guess in that sense, I don't think the ghosts were real, but I think it was more than a dream. I feel like it was something kind of in between, like maybe a dream that was kind of led by some sort of spirit without it being like a physical ghost coming to his house and taking him to see these scenes, you know? So I guess I, I would land somewhere kind of in between. More than a dream, but not quite real-life ghosts. What do you think? Um, this made me think, this question that you posed, and I had to come up with a really great answer for it. A quote from the late, great Dumbledore. Of course it is happening. Late, spoiler alert. <laughs> Hold, okay, come on. Of course <laughs> it is happening inside your head. But why on earth should it mean that it is not real? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's be real. That's a huge thing. Because Dumbledore is also the person that goes on, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. He had this crazed dream of, I need to have all the money. That's the only way I'm going to be happy. That's the only way I'm going to live. But he wasn't truly living. He was, once again, shackling himself to ignorance and greed and want to the detriment of others. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I have to go to the third one, which, to me, yes, this is a dream, but it's super real. And some part of him, whether it was a touch from the great beyond or whatever... But my last Dumbledore quote. (laughs) (laughs) For in dreams, we enter a world that is entirely our own. Let them swim in the deepest ocean or glide over the highest cloud. This dream, whether it was through Marley's intervention or like he thought food poisoning, this whole sequence happened within his imagination. So some part of him was redeemable. This Mm -hmm. is a redemption story. Oh, 100%. I mean, we don't get to see the full redemption. I I mean, that that, we just see that that he has changed. We know that there's a redemption coming and that he is starting on that journey, which is amazing. You, you, You don't usually see that. Usually you see the before, during, and after of a redemption arc. But in this one, you only get to see the before and the during. You don't really get to see, you know, what happens later. We can only assume that maybe Tiny, maybe he helped Tiny Tim with his medical care. 
maybe it didn't matter. Maybe Tiny Tim died anyway. We don't know. We don't know what good in the world he has. He will do. We only know the little bit he has done. Which, once again, as he saw earlier, it doesn't require a lot of money. Yeah. It doesn't require a lot. It, it, you know, it's like watching, um, not Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. You know, in that movie, there, you know, he tells, oh, you're going to have to build an ark, you know? But the whole point of it was to teach him a lesson about kindness, especially because he was working in politics. But it's, hey, how do you make the world a better place? Through acts of random kindness. Ark. And it was like a whole big joke, you know, because Morgan Freeman sitting there cracking up like, yeah, <laughs> pulled it on you. What do you think? <laughs> you, you, you thought I meant a real arc? No, no, no. The arc is a metaphor. And I'm just like, <laughs> like cracking up. Because um, a lot of the, you know, biblical stories are metaphors. Mm-hmm. Not all of them have to be literal. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was a dream that brought that's that whatever tr- that something triggered within him whether it was marley the food poisoning whatever triggered a part of him and he created these visions or these visions came to him and brought about change but that change would not have happened had he not had the potential for change yeah yeah well and like you said um with the dumbledore quote like read that first one again the happening in your head that one of course, it is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean it is not real? So that, to me, I mean, it's Dumbledore is just this fount of wisdom. And, you know, I adore everything he has to say. But that one especially, just because something didn't physically happen doesn't mean the feelings you had attached to it or the change that resulted because of it aren't real. I mean, whether or not this was a real ghost coming to Scrooge to try and convince him to be kind to people i mean even if it was just a dream that change is real you know like he woke up from that dream a different person with different intentions and different priorities and so many times we maybe read a book or we hear a poem or we hear a quote like that or something where it's like okay well i'm not actually living through this story i'm not living through harry potter but the feelings i had and like the just the change emotionally and mentally is real, whether we live through these stories or not. And so I think same for, you know, this book right here, like it doesn't have to be real. We don't have to have ghosts come into our lives and tell us why these things are important or show us, you know, that our Christmas past, present and yet to come, we can read this and still make genuine change because of it. So it doesn't have to be a physical action for change to still result and i mean that's super true i mean every single story that any fan has poured themselves into whether you know i mean you we use harry potter a lot as an example but i mean there's so many fandoms out there star wars i mean you know some people uh are really into lord of the rings i mean you know gray's anatomy like we can come up with a million like different fandoms for all everything that's been created since the beginning of time you know going back to even fairy tales and it's these aren't real we're all making these up you know these are stories but they do have influence and their effects are real 
I mean, these, this, a lot of these, some of these stories are simple morality tales. Like this one at face value is a morality tale about charity and greed. But there's so much more to it. Well, and there's been actual studies done on people like Harry Potter, of course, is the one that I know of for sure. But people have done studies and people who have read Harry Potter are like shown to be more like empathetic. Empath- yeah, they em- empathize better. They're kinder. Like they're more tolerant of other worldviews, other people. And like those things don't just happen. That's not a coincidence that this group of people is like that. It's because we read a story that discussed those things and took it to heart and made actual change because of it. So, I mean, J.K. Rowling has the potential to have changed an entire generation of people. Oh, sure, did. And then some. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) But just for that, like, specific thing, you know, like, there are literal studies that say people who read this book are more empathetic. That's insane. Like, no one actually lived at Hogwarts. No one actually has these, you know, they don't have a wand and there's no real Dumbledore and but the feelings and the lessons we learned from reading that book are real and we take them to heart and we put them to practice. I, I completely agree. And I mean, it, you know, there's so many stories out there that are meant to teach us things like, you know, it is the Christmas season and, you know, my dad is a firm believer and I agree with him. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I've because, never seen Die Hard. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Okay. Um, but Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But what is Die Hard supposed to teach us? The importance of family, but also to fight the good fight. You know, you know, we'll keep going back to Harry Potter, but they keep talking about, you know, darkness, evil is never destroyed. Um, actually, if you want to look up that Game of Thrones quote, but, you know, darkness is e- and evil and death is never destroyed. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep fighting to become better and better people. And we have to work together. And a lot of the stories, you know, from across several genres, it could be, a, you know, a Western. It could be, you know, a, a period piece. I mean, it is all about how do we keep moving on as better people? You know, what can we learn from the past? What can we learn from these stories and pass on to other people? to become better, empathetic people. Is it a Melisandre quote? I don't know. talking about? Because I, I Googled Game of Thrones, darkness never destroyed, and there's just a bunch of people complaining about the, the Battle of Winterfell. How dark <laughs> <is it? laughs> um, Oh, man, here. Uh, I'll have to look it up. But it's like, um, hmm. That and uh, the the night is dark and full of terrors. I saw that one a couple of times. Oh, right here. Uh, well, there's one right here. Um, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. Not today. I mean, let's be real. Not today. <laughs> because not today, ghost of Christmas yet to come. <laughs> not today. <laughs> but you know what that story kind of failed to mention they took him to his funeral but they didn't say when it was oh that's true but his funeral was apparently somewhere around christmas 
like we talked about earlier, like that is a kind of a fluid thing. So, I mean, he saw his tomb and all of that as it would be if he didn't change, you know, it was neglected and nobody went to his funeral and all that, but he's making actual change. So who knows if that'll change, you know, we don't know the effect of kindness on our, exactly. our lifespan, you know, like him being kinder. Well, maybe the, he has a heart attack and the doctor's like, Oh, you were nice to me the other day. So uh, I'm going to work a little harder on your heart and try huh. and save you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you see, you never know how, a small act of kindness can come back and reward you as well, even though that's not the intention. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Car- karma is out there. People remember. Okay, y'all. So I think that's about a wrap on A Christmas Carol. Uh, next month, we are featuring... Probably the biggest cliche book <laughs> you come up with for I'm here for it. 2020s. It has to it is a favorite of ours. It is a favorite, I think, of our generation in particular. Mm-hmm. It is the Great Gatsby. Woohoo! So excited for this. This is definitely one of my favorite books. Um I mean there's just so much to get from it. It's a short read, you know, it's my copy is, let's see, a little over 200 pages. So, and that's with decently big print too. So it's an easy read and I highly recommend it if you haven't read it before. I, most people I feel like read it in high school. I did not. So I went and read it myself in college and I almost wish I would have read it for a class of some sort because then I feel like I would have gotten more of like a, okay, let's analyze the text. Like I probably would have seen a lot more of the symbolism and just and I think know. that's what I will be going over in the next uh <laughs> next discussion yeah so I had to resort to listening to a podcast about it after reading it to try and get a little bit of the like okay let's like dive deep and talk about you know analyze it all right The Great Gatsby is a 1925 novel written by American author F. Scott Fitzgerald that follows a cast of characters living in the fictional towns of West Egg and East Egg on the prosperous Long Island in the summer of 1922. The story primarily concerns the young and mysterious millionaire Jay Gatsby and his passion and obsession with beautiful former debutante Daisy Buchanan. Considered to be Fitzgerald's magnum opus, The Great Gatsby explores themes of decadence, idealism, resistance to change, social upheaval, and excess, creating a portrait of the roaring 20s that has been described as a cautionary tale regarding the American dream. Very relevant this day and age, I would say, not just because we're about to go into the 20s again. So I guess we're, we're doing the older books currently, you know, Christmas Carol was, what we say, 147 years old. This one is 95 years old or will be when we read it. So, um, but it's no less relevant. So oh, no, older. this this is a book. I mean, both of them really are stories that haven't gone away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, actually, we've hit a couple in our, like, you know, very recently, like we did Frankenstein, yeah. we did, we're, we're doing Christmas Carol, we have uh, next month, the uh, Great Gatsby, and I think we have one more planned for next year that's a little bit older, that, I mean, these are books that, you know, as time has progressed, have remained relevant in society. Yeah. yeah. Well, some of my favorite books of all time are these books that have just stood the test of time like 
Pride and Prejudice is one of my all-time favorite books. Great Gatsby is up there. Um, so Call there's some... Wild, um, Jack London. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I, I do own it. I just saw it on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> it's monkey. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks guys for joining us. I'm super excited to read Great Gatsby again. I, I try and read it once a year. So this is, you know, be fitting to start the start 2020 off with a book about the roaring 20s. So I'm excited. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next month. Yeah, super excited. We're super pumped for everything we have planned for next year. We actually just finished our uh, our book list for next year. We may be posting it. Not sure. Maybe we'll leave it as a surprise. Uh, but either way, it's going to be super fun. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram and our website at bfguidetoeverything.com. And thanks for sticking around for a whole year. I mean, this is month number 12. You know, we started January 1st, 2019, and we're about to hit 2020. So 12 months of a blog, and we haven't quit yet. So. <laughs> and we've made plans for at least the next year so i guess we're sticking around so thanks for hanging in there with us love you guys bye